Produced by PI Media. Abundant in volume yet scarce, soothing and relaxing yet bearing a devastating force. Defies the laws of physics and it can heal as much as it can harm. It is the source of life. I'm Idan and from Israel Newtech and PI Media, this is Waterline. Welcome back to Waterline. I'm sitting in a small communal garden, a tiny urban park, not far from my apartment. The trees are lush green, the grass is healthy. In the small pond, fish swim beneath the water lilies. It is hard to imagine that Israel is in the midst of a six-year-long drought. Water is still available at the tap 24-7, and although the Water Authority is deliberating with farmers over quotas, citizens don't feel any stress yet. Here are some basic figures for you to consider. A good water year in Israel means a natural water refill, that's jargon for saying rain, effectively, of 1117 million cubic meters. The annual consumption almost double than that. Any economist will call this a grave deficit. Still, the pond I am sitting next to tells a different story. That is what we will talk about today, the story of desalination, one of Israel's tools in the water sustenance toolkit. Here is Professor Emeritus Rafi Semyat, a chemical engineer from the Technion, Israel's Institute of Technology, his field of research, desalination and water treatment. It all began, I guess, during the biblical time. Moses was the first desalinator. He t- took the, the water of Marah, and send a stick into it, the water became suitable for drinking. He was the first one. In the 18th century, people used to boil water on ships that went across the oceans in order to make wood quality water. Well, they knew York for a long time to boil, to make whiskey and all kinds of things like that. And the vapor that come out from the boiler need to be condensed. They burned a lot of fuel in order to evaporate the water. And this is the reason why people consider until today that the salination consume a lot of energy. Nowadays it's much, much less. So what actually is desalination? Well, desalination is in fact a wrong name. What we are doing, we are taking water from salted water, while desalination is removal the salt from water. You are a chemical engineer, and I got a philosopher's answer. No, it's not exactly philosopher. It's It's not the same thing? It's a question of name. It's a question of convenience. I I mean, as an engineer, we are looking for the best way to make something to work. It's much easier to take the water out than to take the salt out. Confused? So am I. But worry not. There is more confusion to come. 
What I can promise, though, is that I'll do my utmost to make sure you leave with answers as well. Back to modern desalination techniques. Professor Semyat tells us about engineer Alexander Zarkin and his method. Zarkin was a new immigrant from Russia. He was an engineer that built many interesting uh, projects. And he convinced Ben-Gurion that he has a very good technique to desalinate water. And the technique was based on freezing of the water. When the, you freeze salted water, the water uh, forms ice. And the ice is not containing salt. If you take a bottle of water just from the tap and put them in the freezer, let it freeze. Then take it out, watch it while it's melt. Taste the first drop of water, you will feel a lot of salt. Because the last drop that freeze on the ice contains the rest of the salt of the initial water. We call it mother liquor. Salt can be dissolved in water, but uh, in the freezing state it is not dissolved. So he developed on this basis a process. He worked close to the, what is called the triple point. Wait, wait, don't go. Everything will become clear right here, right now. Hear me out. You know the saying that in order to get by in life, we should each have a good lawyer, a good accountant, and a doctor we can trust? Well, my list also includes some scientists to help me make sense of the world. I'm happy for you to meet Dr. Renana Gershoni-Poran. Oh. Hi. Hi. How are you? Um, I'm fine. Senior scientist and lecturer at ETH Zurich, the Swiss Federal Institute of Technology. She is my go-to person when it comes to chemistry. Still confused by the Cheshire cat-like conundrum, I asked her if there really is a difference between removing the salt from the water or removing the water from the salt. In fact, there is a difference. And I think a nice way of thinking about it is looking through a macroscopic analog for this. So let's imagine we have a bathtub that's filled with water and we have all these rubber duckies floating around. Hmm. What we're trying to do is separate the rubber duckies from the water. And we can do this in several ways. One of the easiest ways would probably be to just fish out the rubber duckies. And you can do this with your hand or with a net. And it's very simple because you can see them. And so you can just grab them out. Hmm. Another way of doing this would be to drill a hole in the bottom of the bathtub, connect a hose, and just let the water flow out. And if the hose is small enough that only the water can come out and the rubber duckies can't, then you are effectively separating both of them. At the end of the day, whichever method you choose to use, you're going to have one container with water and one container with the rubber duckies. Even though in one case you separated the water out and in the other case you separated the rubber duckies out. Okay, makes sense. One down. What about the triple point? The triple point is a concept in physical chemistry, which basically means that you have an equilibrium between three phases of water, which are ice, water, and steam. Mm -hmm. And at the triple point, they all exist in equilibrium. How is that even possible? Well, it depends on the pressure and the temperature. You know that, for example, when you bring water to 100 degrees centigrade, they start to boil and you get steam. That is equilibrium between two phases of water, between liquid water and gas water, which is what we call steam. The triple point is special because at that specific temperature and pressure, you can get water molecules in each of those three phases. The triple point for water occurs at about 0.01 degrees centigrade and at 0.006 atmospheres of pressure. So very, very low pressure. At lower pressures, 
water boils at a lower temperature. The higher your altitude, the lower the atmospheric pressure. If you have a reduced pressure, the water can boil at a lower temperature. So by creating a vacuum, we are basically letting the water boil at a lower temperature. And this means that you can get steam even though you are not at 100 degrees centigrade, but actually at a much, much lower temperature. And this can be very effective in reducing the amount of energy you need in order to boil that water, in order to get that steam. So the objective in reaching that triple point is that now we have steam, we have ice, and we have liquid water. And only in the liquid water, the salt can be dissolved. The steam is clean water. And the ice is also clean water. By getting to that triple point, we are effectively getting two phases of water that are clean and one phase into which we throw all the salts and every other thing that is dissolved within the water. Zahin's method actually makes a lot of sense, once you understand it. Taking advantage of water's unique traits while reducing energy costs and voila, reasonably priced fresh drinking water that originated in the sea. An impressive breakthrough, if you ask me, not extremely impressive if you ask a chemical engineer who is used to it. It was a sort of breakthrough, but it didn't catch up because it was too costly, and there was not so much need for desalinated water at that time. I'm talking about the 50s, 60s, 70s. The government of Israel, and especially Ben-Gurion, decided that desalinated is the future. Even if it was the future, when the past was still the present, Engineers had to push hard to create a viable large-scale desalination model. Seth Siegel, author of Let There Be Water, Israel's solution for a water-starved world. Every time you look at history and things are working harmoniously, I'm speaking generally, not just in water, it'd be false to think that you got to that point without conflict. And every time you have a technology that's a success, it would be a historical revisionism to think that it was clear from the beginning that that technology was going to work. I love telling the story about how Israel came to do desalinated water. The first prime minister of Israel was a believer in what he called in his diaries, desalting the sea. He became fascinated with this idea of desalting the sea, and he sets up this very small, not very well-funded agency called Israel Desalination Enterprises, now called IDE, by the way. And it was an agency of the Israeli government, 13 engineers, and one young, very young guy who now is a very old guy who I had the chance of interviewing on a handful of occasions. And the old guy who I interviewed told me that he never believed for one second that Ben-Gurion was serious about desalinated water. He says he thought it was something he could just talk about when American and European visitors came to Israel so they could talk about it for either fundraising purposes or just for national pride. But the engineers sat down and they started developing ideas. And they came up with one idea and then another idea. And the next thing I know, They had a working model. And that's how desalinated water comes to be. What Israel did was, if you think in sort of a casino terms, Israel placed its bet not on one and only one technology. It, historically, it looks like that's what they did. They were all over the place. They were trying lots of things. Some of them worked. The things that worked, they did more of. The things that didn't work, they did less or none of. Zalchin's method did have good results, but there was constant striving to decrease the cost of energy. Engineers kept on working to find new solutions and methods, rethinking every stage of the process. And thus, a new technique was born. Here's Professor Semyat. The current operation, the current best technique for desalination is the reverse osmosis. We are applying pressure on the membrane, which is higher than 
the osmotic pressure of the water that flow along the membrane. And therefore, we can transfer water to the other side of the membrane. Renana? Don't let the name freak you out. Reverse osmosis sounds like a very technical term, but let's go back to our macroscopic analogy. Remember before we were talking about a bathtub with a hose in it? Mm-hmm. This is exactly the same thing, except that instead of using a hose through which the water can flow, but the rubber duckies can't, we're now using a membrane, which just has pores or holes in it through which the water molecules can pass, but the salts can't. It's exactly the same concept, except that it's microscopic. Why reverse? In regular osmosis, water goes to where there are more salts in order to dilute that solution. In reverse osmosis, you're actually pushing water from a solution that has a lot of salt into a solution that has less. So the reverse just means that it's going in the opposite direction. Sounds so easy. To the point I've asked Ziv Shor, VP of Projects at IDE, which today is a private company, no longer a governmental entity, for his recipe for a desalination plant. Grab a pen and paper if you wish. First, you get an intake where you take the water out of the ocean. From there, you go to filtration. Usually, you use multimedia filters, which are basically sand filters. From there, you start pushing the water into membranes. You pump the water in very high pressure. After the membranes, we get what we call permeate. Very, very clean water. Then they go to a second stage and a third and a fourth stage of membranes. Additional filtration. We get extremely clean water. Actually, now we need to do the other way around. Now we need to start adding minerals into the water. So they go through a process that's called rehardening. We add limestone into the water, which allows them to have carbon carbonate in them. We're adding calcite into the water because it's an issue of protecting the bones, mainly in the human body. And from there, the water are pumped into a very large reservoir, then distributed. There are leftovers in the process. Roughly about 50% of the water that were taken out of the ocean turned into potable water. The other 50% are returned back into the ocean. Some people call them the brine, but it's more concentrate, which is a higher concentration of salt water that just returned into the ocean. That's it. Very simple. What's your business? We're all sell water provider to the world. We provide water solutions to the world. If you tell us what your problem is, we'll, we'll fix it. We'll make sure you're able to get the water that you want and when you want it and as cheap as possible. ID is a technology company. We've been designing our plants to work in moderating flows, meaning they can go up and down in production depending on the electrical tariff rates. For example, when the electrical tariff is low, let's say during the weekends, during the nights, then we increase production. And when the tariff is uh, high and expensive, then we are able to lower the production. Price per liter dove throughout the last several years. We usually measure it per cubic meter and definitely went down in recent years because we've been able to be more energy efficient. We've been able to get better equipment. We've done a lot of process improvements. And financing was also a big part in that process, allowing us to get into much cheaper water price. I think the water price of desalinated water in Israel is the cheapest in the world today. How did you manage to do that? Very good design, a lot of engineering effort, a lot of trade secrets, a lot of patents, and a lot of good people working on the project, you know, devoting themselves to ensure that we're able to produce good water in such a cheap price. 
So technology drives costs down, which in turn brings the prices down. Tommy Shaw, unrelated to our last speaker, Ziv, in case you were wondering, is the Senior Deputy Director General for Regulation at the Israeli Water Authority. She sees another factor that enables lower prices. Technology definitely was one of the highest reasons of why desalination water prices are the lowest in the world in Israel. But it wouldn't come out this way without the right regulation. You would expect her to say that, wouldn't you? But there is a lot to it. Listen carefully. Infrastructure is much of the cost of the desalination plant. So the bigger you build it, the lower price you get per cubic meter. But how can you build a big desalination plant if there can be a rainy year that comes after a drought and you have to commit to buy the water every year or else the desalination plant would not work all the time and would become more pricey. So because of the way that the Israeli system is built, the desalination plant work into the national grid. If there are rainy years, the groundwater can be charged with desalination water that can be used from the desalination plant. And in drought years, we can use the whole amount of water From the desalination plants. So during rainy years, you will replenish the groundwater? We have the option to do it. So you can plan the desalination plants to be bigger in the first place and work all around. Then there is PPP projects, private-public partnerships, the way that we build the desalination plants in Israel. So private entities are, first of all, winning the bids, Of the desalination plants, then they are investing the money, and they get the return on their investments because the state obliges to buy the water, no matter what, for, let's say, 22 years. This is how it works in Israel. They give a price of water, they set a price of water in the bid to sell a certain amount of water annually for 22 years. And the state has to buy the water. Or else it has to pay back the constant costs of building the plant. So there's actually uh, very low risks in putting this very costly establishment. And risk has a lot to do with the price of uh, water that comes out of the plant. And I think this combination of technology and regulation has set the prices so low in Israel. Oded Distel, head of Israel Newtech. We need the private sector to invest heavily in those uh, desalination plants. Those are uh, factories that takes 100-150 million dollars in order to build. So we need to create a level of certainty for those investors. Even in a year that is very blessed with rain, and uh, obviously, When it is dry, we need more water. One might say it sounds like a subsidy. No, it's not a subsidy. It's a known exercise in BOT projects that you guarantee the basic recovery for investments to the investors. Otherwise, we might find ourselves without bidders. And we do want bidders, private sectors, to go for those projects because this is the way we can raise financial resources and it takes huge financial resources to build those kinds of plants. And we don't want to put it on the public expansion. So we want private sectors to come in. But we have to guarantee the private sectors that they are going to gain their investments and make money out of it. Ziv Shaw. 
money is at least today's world it's something that it's not that difficult to get hold of there's a lot of people who are willing to invest especially long-term investments in desalination plants I would say the financing part at least today while still being very complicated there's enough people who are willing to do it because it's a pretty safe investment for a long term with a good return rate on it but you won't build this in a developing country mm-hmm. mostly it will be in a developed country today yes in developing country then there's definitely an issue on who's going to finance who's going to give the assurance that the money will be returned there are ways to do it there's a, the world bank there are entities who can give you enough certainty that once you develop a plant like this and produce water you will be also be paid for it or dead distill so is it true to say that now with desalination it is the first time that you can truly talk about water management on a large scale yes people desalinated water also in the past but in a magnitude that you can say that uh, it is one of the most uh, reliable important resources mm-hmm. on a national scale mm-hmm. yeah this is uh, this is big this is new at the end of the day it is the responsibility of the state of the government to supply good quality water to the citizens it doesn't mean that the government necessarily has to produce and to manufacture the water I see it as a better structure where the private sector comes in, do the investment, and the government buys the service from them. issues tend to concern people when talking about desalination, energy costs, and the toll on the environment. The fear is that the environment might get hit twice. First, the toll on aquatic life from the brine discharged back to the sea at the end of the process. And second, the fear that increased energy production to run the desalination plant will result in higher carbon emissions. When it comes to energy consumption, efficiency is the name of the game, says The desalination project is a large electricity consumer, but there were a lot of improvements in that area. ID has several patents that actually allowed us to reach much lower energy consumption. We use much more efficient pumps. Also, we use energy recovery devices, which allow us to turn 97% of energy recovery in the process. But, but it's not magic. It's hard work. It's hard work. It's definitely hard work. A lot of science involved in it, since this is a major factor in desalination, the cost of water. Actually, I would say most of the water price during the operation of the plant is the energy cost. Professor Semyat. In Israel, at least... On the national basis, the consumption of energy for water desalination is negative. We save energy. A simple calculation. In order to generate a cubic meter of water by reverse osmosis, you need three and a half kilowatt hour. If you multiply it by 600 million cubic meters that Israel produces annually, and divide it by the annually energy consumption of the state of Israel, you arrive to a very interesting number, 1.3%. The, the Sinatia plant learned that they can do better if they will operate more than 60% of their production during the night using electricity that otherwise was just burn lumps everywhere because you cannot shut down the power plant. But if you 
use it during the night, you can remove at least 60% of the energy cost of the water. And you have to take into account that prior to the desalination time, Mekorot used to pump water from the north to the south. Now, most of the desalination plants are close to the large cities, so the distances are much shorter. You have a negative national consumption. It's not that we don't use electricity, we use electricity. But on the national basis, we saved energy. An interesting test case is the desalination plant in Carlsbad, California. Ziv Shaw. It was the first large-scale desalination plant in the States, which was a big breakthrough in, in that matter. It took a very long time to develop it, dealing with the regulation. I, I like the way that you paused. You had a, an image in your mind. Can you please tell us what went through your brain? Well, when you talk about California and you talk about regulation, then... It, it takes a long time to do something that requires any regulation in a country like California. There is a lot of environmental issues that you need to take into account. There is a lot of governmental requirements that you need to adhere to. So all of that together took uh, Poseidon Resources, which were the developer of the plant, took them, I think, around a decade just to get to the starting line of the actual project. Situated some 60 kilometers north of San Diego, the plant, which began operations in late 2015, manufactures more than 200,000 cubic meters of water daily and supplies 10% of the water needed in San Diego County. It took nearly two decades to realize the dream of building a desalination plant due to concerns brought forth by environmentalists. Professor Semyat explains where the concerns stemmed from. In the past... People used to send the concentrate on the floor of the sea. This caused damage because the plants that are living there cannot run away. The crawler cannot run away fast enough. So it's leave a desert in this place. But then they realized what, what's happened then. So they release the concentrate in the center height between the floor and the surface upward. When the water goes down back to the floor, It's almost the same condition as the sea. It doesn't affect the crawler, it doesn't affect the plants. When a fish comes close to this area, he feels some stress. He feels stress, he runs away. And if you take into account that we also send with the concentrate all kinds of chemicals that we used during the process, acids to clean the membrane and bases to clean the membrane, they are diluted so fast that there is no influence on the environment. The area of relatively high concentration is very low, The effect is very negligible. We take all concerns into account, says Ziv Shaw. Part of the environmental impact analysis that every project undergoes, a dispersion analysis, where we check for how far this concentrate will flow. The ranges that we're getting through our design are pretty small. Usually, the worst case scenario talks about 80 or 100 meters from the discharge from the pipe. What we've seen, actually, that, that it's much smaller. It's about 20 meters. You're talking about an impact. Yes. Not the most severe impact. We're talking about an impact. Mm-hmm. I can say that in some places we've even seen the, the opposite, since the water that are returning into the ocean are slightly warmer. So we're seeing a lot of fish coming to swim in the hot, nice water that they're getting there. So we've been seeing that in Israel, for example. There was talk about some sharks and a lot of uh, other fish coming to... 
to that area actually so what was I would say still is a major concern and we are looking at I think on the long term might actually come out to be something that has hardly any impact Professor Semyat in fact what we are doing is not so different from what nature is doing nature used the sun to evaporate seawater the vapor going up turns to clouds and precipitate all kind of forms of water part of it goes back to the sea while adding salts all the time to the sea and the rest of it accumulate in aquifers in rivers in lakes and, so, and we use that so what we do here we take water from the sea instead of evaporation we make reverse osmosis bring back the salted water to the sea and trying to avoid the damage to the environment on the same time because we increase the capacities but not in so significant matter I mean if all the world the population will start to use the sanitated water in parallel to the natural water this will not influence the seas and the, the oceans at all so if I'll ask you now what are the true costs of desalination? Well, it uh, depends on the location. You see, not all oceans and seas are the same. Salinity levels vary. While the Mediterranean salinity level is 3.5%, the levels in the North Sea, for example, range between 1.2 to 1.5%. This and other factors have a direct impact on energy consumption and the brine's quality. The intake pipe of the desalination plant in Ashkelon, Israel, for example, is located a kilometer from the coast. Professor Semyat. The Singapore pump their water from a distance of 50 meters from the plant and send the concentrate downstream at a distance of 150 meters. Why? Because they have a big channel between them and Malaysia. And the water quality is much better than we have here. So they have better quality of water. The concentration is lower. Removal of the concentrate is closer. Okay, so you can say they damage less the environment. You can say also in Singapore that this is island. It's a small island. You don't have long distances to pump water from place to place. So the energy is, on a national basis, this is the real energy that you use for the salination. If you will now look on the environment issue, in their case and in our case, the cost of the environment is very low. So over-pumping of aquifers is more costly to the environment than desalination? You saw that in Israel. What happened in Israel when we didn't have desalination and we didn't have enough desalination? Our aquifers are empty. Lake of Galilee is empty. The Dead Sea is going down with all those boreholes. Now, when we have the sanitated water, we can spare one million cubic meter out of 600 million for the nature in this region. Ziv Shor. I think the best way to put desalination and the need for desalination was to diversify the water sources. I think that's the main issue when you look in the world today. Professor Semyat. It's very important to bring new sources of water because what happens in the world and people don't realize yet, the population is growing significantly and very fast and there is a need for water, for agriculture, for drinking. In many places in the world, the natural resources are gone. Ziv Shor. You can't depend on a single source. You can depend on the rain, you can depend on the rivers, you can't depend on the snow peaks. There's so much today changing in the world that you need to make sure that you have some way to spread the risk, I would say. 
let's face it, population grows. We're seeing more industrial plants worldwide. And a lot of those are large consumers of water. You need to be able to provide it. Sometimes it's about taking natural resources. Sometimes it's about taking desalinated water. Sometimes it's about reused water. But in the end, it's about making sure that people do get water when they need. Because, you know, without water, there's no life. While working on this episode, researching, interviewing, and trying to grapple with chemistry, there was one thing that kept on bugging me. Desalination disconnects us from the hydrologic cycle. On a practical level, desalination is a blessed invention. But I could not stop thinking about what this means to our human practices. Be it for people who ask in their daily prayers from God to send us rain, or to rain-making rituals in tribal communities. What would it do to the role of shamans, clerics, and priests, and their standing in their communities? How will the utilization of the technology of desalination shape the future? Only time will tell. Meanwhile, we must take care of 8 billion people and their needs. Ode Distel The price of desalinating water went down in the last 30-40 years dramatically. We are now at a price of around uh, 55 cents per cubic meter, which some people would say very high, others would say very low, but it is an actual price that calculates cost of energy, cost of land, of operation, of investments. And compared to uh, other source of water, from river or from lake, from rain, you might say, what is the price of water? Nobody can tell. Here we have an actual price, which brings us to a different discussion. It is an economical discussion. We can speak about investments, we can speak about profit, we can speak about product and services. And this is a new era in terms of the dialogue about water. For me, a very positive area, because now we can say we are in a position that we can supply water everywhere, to everyone. It's just a question of doing the right calculation and building the right business model. Waterline is brought to you by Israel Newtech and is a PI Media production. Produced by PI Media.